and welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Roman Kepchak, who is the Director of Firm Technology Strategy for Right Networks. Hello, Roman. How are you? And thanks for being on the show. I'm doing great, Sean. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about a topic that's very close and near to dear to all of our hearts right now. Absolutely. And I'm very excited to explore the significant amount of experience and background that you have. I have so many questions and I'm very excited to share this topic with our audience. But before we do so, what would be great for our audience to learn more about your background? So if you wouldn't mind catching us up to date in terms of where you've been and where you're at now, that would be fantastic. Of course, of course. Um, pretty much I'm a CPA, started out like uh, many of our audience uh, as a tax person, basically um, doing tax returns in a large office in Phoenix, Arizona. And by virtues of PCs coming in the marketplace, all of a sudden I became tagged as the computer guy for that firm. And my role basically transitioned from doing tax returns to actually rolling out networks, becoming a network administrator um, and teaching our offices. We had um, 14 offices around Arizona, basically how to utilize the technology we have. And once I got our firm all automated and centralized, um, all of a sudden other firms said, hey, well, Roman's firm did that. So uh, let's have him help us. And. 30 years later, I'm still inside as an outsourced IST partner. I work with about 400 accounting firms, um, including about 30 of the top 100. Wow. Incredible. Um, thank you for the background. Super interesting. And uh, it's when you get, when, when you uh, make your way into technology, it has a tendency to hold on. <laughs> so I could tell that's definitely happened in this case. And um, I know more recently, which is quite a bit about what we wanted to talk about on this episode was you've been spending a lot of time talking to firms about cybersecurity and security in general. So um, I'd love to hear you kind of give us a bit of an overview in terms of a, a state of the industry at the moment as it pertains to cybersecurity. Can you give a little bit of background for our audience so that they have a better understanding of what we mean when we say that? Absolutely. Um, one of the issues, and I tend to deal with medium um, firms and larger out there, but one of the issues we see is, is management just assumes that technology um, security is being taken care of because they have an IT person or an external IT team and it's just being done. And they assume because they're doing their password changes, you know, once or twice a year that everything's okay. The reality I see is in most of my firms, our IT teams are understaffed, whether it's in-house or external. And pretty much they're focusing on, you know, whatever fire is burning today, making sure the accounts can continue working and all of that. And when they have free time, they focus on security. Unfortunately, what happens is they have very little time, they have very little training. And so we really recommend firms outsource the security management to make sure the firm is protected um, on all aspects. You know, we, we, we call it smart security management, but it is not just the IT person doing their job or the antivirus and applications doing their jobs and the VPNs. It's also training your people to make sure they're, they're aware of the latest threats and uh, attacks vectors, basically, that could be impacting them and thus the firm. Yeah, that's super helpful context. I imagine getting inside the mind of our listeners and who we typically speak to here, some of the partners and managing partners of different firms, I would imagine they would probably have some questions related to kind of what cybersecurity probably means for them and a little bit more in terms of what you mean by threats. Can you give us some context there in terms of what they should know, what they should be aware of, and what they should be paying closer attention to that may not be on their radar at the moment? Yeah. Well, first of all, they have to realize that we are definitely a target. Because we have so much personally identifiable information, there are actually hacker groups that you know you hear on the news about the groups going after the education and you know the school districts and all that, going after the 
uh, medical profession, the legal profession. There's actually hacker groups that go after accounting firms and they become so specialized niche, just like we are, you know, in our advisory services that they actually understand how to get into the tax software, whether it's CCH Thompson, Drake, Intuit, Lacert, and they know exactly what data to get out of there um, to monetize it as much as possible. And so, uh, first of all, we want them to realize that we are a definite target. Second of all, um, if you're not proactively managing your security, you're at much, much higher risk. And what I mean by that, um, I did a speech on security last month, and uh, the group I was talking to, they said, well, our IT group, you know, we have a meeting all the time, we talk about it, um, but, you know, maybe once a month we update it. And I said, well, here's three attacks that happened last week. So there was actually an attack specifically um, on browsers, you know, through the Chrome browser. So if you didn't update in the last, you know, 24 hours, there was four known vulnerabilities, zero-day vulnerabilities. There was also attack on the routers uh, for specific types of VPN routers that were out there. And then Microsoft talked about a different um, attack on Exchange servers. So here's a scenario where probably it's not only the infrastructure, it's the external email, it's also the people. All three have had major breaches in the previous week, yet no one in the group was aware of those changes happening because they weren't monitoring it in real time. Yeah, it really underscores the significance of just how quickly it can change in terms of, like you mentioned, they may have a cadence that they've been following, but that might've been what they used to be doing and it's really no longer sufficient at the time. And in order to really stay ahead of what, how you need to be protective over the data that you have and your firm in general, plus your client's sense of information, you're going to need to start getting much more proactive than you've probably been in the past. So I'm curious to learn more in terms of like what you typically see, what are some of the common misconceptions that firms make in terms of how they think that they're protecting themselves or some solutions they may think are adequate when in reality they're wholly inadequate and really ill-prepared for the threats that are out there today? Well, uh, first of all, when we look at how firms get breached, um, you know, there's kinds of phishing emails, um, there's social engineering and all that, but the goal is to be able to get into the network and get a hold of your login and password. That's your, your login credentials. And so many firms think, oh, we're changing our password pretty much, you know, four times a year. Um, it's Microsoft standard rules, eight characters, alphanumeric, upper, lower, all that stuff, that they're fine. Well, the reality is this guy who wrote those rules, a guy named Bill Burris from the NSA, you know, 15 years ago said that if you're not using less than 14 characters, they can breach any password out there. So what we're saying is a lot of firms think they have a password, it's fine. Um, today, honestly, to protect um, from the credential stuffing, those kind of things, you need to have a unique password that's at least 14 characters. So that makes it really hard to remember. So we need to train our people to utilize what we call pass phrases. And these are like a series of three or four words. Um, you also make, need to make sure that they're unique to every site. And that's a challenge for us as accountants because what can happen is um, we might use a login that's our email um, address and our company name. Um, and then we use the same password to get in our tax application, our practice management application to our research, those kind of things. And what we've seen in instance over instances is if one of those three sites gets hacked, the hackers have tools that do automatic credential stuffing. They try that login and password to all the similar sites to that. And so um, actually New York earlier this year had a major uh, credential stuffing attack that happened. I think 17 companies over a million accounts were compromised that happened immediately. So how do you get over that? Well, to alleviate credential stuffing, 
Um, basically, you have to have a unique password for every single website. And so we honestly recommend the use of a password wallet. So there are solutions out there, for instance, like LastPass, Dashlane, uh, 1Password. And we strongly encourage that every firm implement one of those, um, but make sure it's professionally implemented. Because like anything in security, whether it's a, a VPN, a wireless um, network, you know, a router or something, um, or a, a password wallet, you need to make sure it's done properly so that it's locked down and that hackers don't get easy access you know, to the system. I'm glad you mentioned so secure ways to be storing the information because uh, some background in infrastructure engineering myself as well too whenever attempting to kind of enforce these policies, that would usually be one of the primary pushbacks that I would get in terms of setting, you know, some random character sequence off numeric, something more complicated, right? Uh, like you're uh, recommending, but now we've got these great kind of vaults and password managers that we can use to make that experience significantly more convenient. And I'm, I could probably guess what you're going to say back to the next question, but um, I want to make sure I, we hear it from you as well, too. In terms of sharing these credentials uh, that any of these firms may be doing at the moment, I don't know if you ever encounter this, but are there, you know, obviously curious to hear what best practice is, looks like when it comes to stuff like this, because I'm sure, you know, you've probably seen instances where credentials may be being shared uh, across, even within the organization, or hopefully not externally, but maybe that as well, too, in an effort to try to make it more convenient in terms of using the products that they use. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And what would be, you know, if that's misaligned, which... Again, probably going to expect you to say something like that. What's the proper way to handle for situations like that if firms find themselves doing those things today? Oh, zero sharing. It's that simple. <laughs> what happens is if we have to get into your uh, system and fix something, it should automatically be set uh, to reset the, the password. And I know that is a pain. That's why we like to have these password wallet applications because if there's a new credential set up, you know, a 32-character string of wild characters, upper left, you know, uh, special characters and all that, um, it can easily be saved right into the system. You don't have to retype the whole thing. So um, today, the only way to protect your firm is to have a unique password. And it's so easy to reset it that we don't even consider giving passwords out uh, you know, to anybody. That's just best practices. And it's the only way, honestly, you know, to protect your credential. Well said. I think a lot of and I'll probably blame this on movies that dramatize, you know, what hacking may or may not be, right? I think they think if it's some expert hidden in a dark room somewhere with some advanced tech that nobody even knows how to use in terms of how they're accessing your network and stealing your data, in reality, most of the time, and I'd love to hear you comment on this as well, also, it's probably someone guessing your password, right? Trying to access, finding that one vulnerability, like you just mentioned, if you have a password that's simple or easy to kind of fish then that's really all it takes in order to gain access to your network. Now they can really start snooping around on the safe side of the firewall to look for other vulnerabilities that could, they can exploit. And as I said, one, they understand um, the structure of accounting firms and that we have you know, document management applications and tax applications. And so once they get in, they literally start copying as much data and offloading it when your system, your, your networks are not being you know, high traffic, mainly to capture that data to monetize it. Um, then, you know, the, those that are involved in ransomware, what they'll do is, is when they're all done, they'll go in and actually delete your backups and then invoke the ransomware so that it encrypts all the files that are out there. But uh, the sad thing about all this is, is the hackers, believe it or not, cannot be trusted 
Um, studies have shown that when a firm pays the ransom, they become a victim of another ransomware attack about more than almost 80% of the time. The other component is even if they pay the ransom and get it out there, that data is being resold. Those are called double extortion attacks. And unfortunately, um, the groups like Mays, Conti, the nation states that are doing hacking, they have these treasure troves of data and they're going to, they're going to, they're criminals. They're going to monetize it any way they can. So um, unfortunately, the best protection is, is you know, having a infrastructure so you have the minimum risk of being um, attacked by ransomware. Well said, right? Uh, be proactive, uh, set up the security to the extent where it minimizes your risk of ever having to deal with any of this. You mentioned the ransomware attacks. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about this for the audience so that they have better understanding of what that means for them and what type of situation they may find themselves in if in the event they become a victim of a ransomware attack and someone's gained access to a system, deleted backups, encrypted, perhaps what is the single source of data that they have, how you know how dire is that situation for them if they let themselves if they let themselves uh, fall into that type of trend? Well, think about the colonial pipeline attack that happened. That was an interesting one because the way they got in the network was actually through um, a contractor who had been working on the VPN a year before. And that contractor used the same login and password for every energy site they worked on. And so what happens is they actually hacked another site. And then once they got his login and password, they were able to work inside the network and identify all the people's email accounts, the people that person that had communicated with and all that, and started building a map of what was out there um, to, to, to try to find out where the applications were, who was in charge and all that, so they could capture as much data as possible. As I said, they go through and they'll collect all the tax returns, in our, in our case, accounting firms, um, they'll download all the PDFs of the current tax returns so they can do identity theft, you know, sell that to a different group of hackers and all that. And then uh, what's tough now is, is, like I said, they actually go in and they will monitor when your backups are being made and then find out where they're at and literally destroy the backups. Um, so that's why you have to actually some backups offline that are not connected. We call that air gapping. Um, it's out there. Uh, but once they do that and it's encrypted, the reality is, is your only option is, is to be able to restore if you have backups before the malware was implemented. And in the case of an accounting firm, if that's during a busy season, you could lose one, two, three weeks of work that's out there. So it's a scary prospect. But um, we know in our cloud, uh, people click on phishing emails all the time. And so by having enterprise class intrusion prevention detection software, um, that person can be blocked off very quickly. And um, it's either their workstation neutralized. We actually move them to another workstation because it's in the cloud, they can log in again. Um, and then we can cleanse that machine, get it out there. Unfortunately, if uh, your company doesn't have that and it spreads through the system, um, what you've got to do is, is you got to clean every single machine. And what they found is the cost of remediation in the case of like Colonial Pipeline or companies that are completely breached is that it's significantly more than the ransom, uh, sometimes 10 times more, because you have to basically scrub every machine, every firewall, router, uh, server. Um, and that just takes a lot of IT skill and time to do that. Plus, I would probably add to that, it's probably significantly more cost-effective to have prevented that scenario from happening in the first place, right? Speaking with an expert like yourself, getting the right kind of help to make sure your system is up to the level of requirements to prevent that whole scenario from happening to begin with. 
definitely uh, an area where, uh, what is it, the phrase that they use is, um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound yeah. of cure. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Super well said, especially in this case, especially these attacks start to get more and more intricate. And you just gave a great example in terms of how one vulnerability or one limitation can be exploited to just cause a significant, massive amount of damage and really set everything back pretty dramatically. Um, I, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit too about an, other opportunities to further enhance the security uh, around user accounts, like uh, two-factor authentication and things like that. Are these things that you recommend as well too? And what does implementation typically look like at a firm level? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, for credential management, we always have complex passwords, password wallets, and multi-factor authentication. Now, the products that most of the businesses and corporations use are products like Duo or Okta. Uh, the, the, firm, the smaller firms in our audience here, there's also Microsoft Authenticator and Google Authenticator. But what these tools basically do is that someone uh, tries to log in um, as you with your login and password. Um, so if they've stolen it, let's say from the credential stuffing attack, it sends a code to your phone or um, it's either a number code, could be a text message, could be actually even a phone call to, the, to read the code to you. But it wants to make sure that it is you, it's a secondary uh, backup, that you will actually repeat the number or type the number in to verify it's there. If that doesn't happen, what happens is the person realizes, okay, someone tried to log in with Roman's login and password, but because it wasn't authenticated, I need to change my password because I know someone actually got in past that. And so, uh, we, again, just like installing VPNs or the password wallets, we want you to work with your IT person, um, either internal or external, make sure they set it up properly so that uh, it's configured um, you know, with all the security that is required today. It's an excellent point about, I love the authenticator apps. Those are fantastic. Because one of the one of the reasons uh, that you mentioned is being able to wrap like notifications around that and monitoring and all the advanced tracking that they could do like geolocation and things like that, right? So even if there's been some form of exploit, there's multiple factors associated with how they're tracking whether or not this looks like a potentially suspicious login, and if it is, it'll inform you as such, which could uh, daily prevent you know any of those potentially catastrophic consequences you've already talked about. So yeah, I was they, working they in Canada last week, and that exactly happened. They said we noticed you're out of the country. That, that you try to log in from Longueuil, uh, you know, which is in Quebec. <laughs> Excellent point, right? So it's great. I mean, it's really nice to be able to have that level of control, especially if you find yourself um, in a situation where someone is trying to exploit your system to a larger extent. You're really going to have a, you're really going to appreciate having this level of flexibility and like resilience in uh, your security protection. Excellent point. Um, how about so? I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more, especially at the advent of the or you know as the pandemic has progressed and all of a sudden we were kind of thrust into this environment where we're there are so many more people all of a sudden tr attempting to work remotely that had previously worked in person. Obviously, you're talking about um, you know securing the enterprise or the the network. Um, there are different kind of uh, situations for if that's going to be done in person in a physical office versus if your team's going to be distributed and they're, now you're talking about working remotely. What type of unique characteristics do you have to manage for as you add all those additional combinations of folks in, you know, now arguably working from anywhere, whereas you're, you're overnight, your network now needs to potentially be very different and extend that level of protection to potentially you know, people's homes and public places as well? Yeah. Well, 
when COVID struck, you know, like you said, everyone went home. The, the reality was the auditors were probably well-versed because they were already using VPNs. They had laptops as their only machine um, and they had protocols to connect to the firm. Unfortunately, the rest of the people, all the administration tax people, many of them had la- a desktop as their only machine and they went home and went with their own home computer and connected in. In the rush to set up remote access, a lot of firms did like very minimal implementations of remote desktop protocol, Windows terminal server. Um, they might have um, had to like even use, you know, a, a going dialing into their own computer at the office to do that in the VPN. And all of these are fraught with risks and, and difficult to set up and even more difficult to maintain. And so um, we found we had to do, first of all, uh, a lot of training of the people to make sure that they understood what the VPN and those protocols were. But we also had to do a lot of maintenance on these remote workstations. And so our recommendation, honestly, is use a workstation as your only machine, like a laptop that you go back and forth that has a managed workstation so that when you connect that workstation to the firm, it's verified that it is an authorized either laptop, desktop, or you know tablet or smartphone that's out there. The problem with home computers is particularly during COVID where the kids were sharing that and that you know, were forced to do remote school, you don't know what securities on that machine. You don't know what VPN is set up on it, uh, what antivirus, what updates on Windows. I mean, we even heard stories of people's computers breaking down. And so they would grab the old Windows 7 PC off the shelf and connect to the home network. So even though I'm connected secure on my firm-owned laptop to the home network that we're sharing with the kids, their machine gets compromised. And now they're trying to get my login and credential on my home network. So we honestly recommended that um, firms verify the setup of their remote workers, use the multi-factor authentication, um, the managed workstation, so that anytime someone tried to connect to the firm's network resources or infrastructure, it always had the latest version of Windows, it had the latest um, antivirus malware updates, the VPN was verified, and then we also had the multi-factor authentication to make sure it was me on my computer. Well said. I think that's an excellent point, too, in terms of how I would summarize one of the things you said in the beginning there when firms were scrambling, trying to restore people's access, you know, but based on the limitations around the pandemic, is just because you've been able to make it work doesn't mean that it's secure. So like connecting through, you could be doing that and sending data or information over potentially like a significantly long period of uh, time or long distance runs where that data is being transmitted uh, unsecurely and can be intercepted and that can cause all kinds of trouble, right? Yeah, and it's also um, another important thing to remember is that um, at home when you're connected, you know, you should set up your wireless network. Um, if, I mean, actually, if you have an ethernet connection, it's direct, that's the best way. But if you're a shared network on the home, you want to make sure the wireless has it segmented between you and your work so it can be protected from the house and all of the IoT, Internet of Things devices, such as like, you know, um, garage door openers, ring doorbells, the baby monitors and all those. Because, again, once they get into one of those devices, even the kids, we or, you know, their, their games, uh, their Xbox, they can actually get into the unprotected network. So we actually recommend you segment your network at home so that it's, um, you know, you'll have, let's say, the 5G connection for the office, the 2.4 uh, gigahertz connection for the family and all of that, and you only connect through that system. 
And then even at client sites, we consider clients uh, Wi-Fi public also, because you don't know how that client has set up or configured their Wi-Fi. So honestly, I recommend anybody who's working outside of that secure home network that's been set up by your IT team, that they use their mobile hotspot in their phone. Uh, mm-hmm. Today, pretty much any of the phones deal, whether it's an iPhone or an Android phone, in the last three to four years has a mobile hotspot capability. And that internet connection is the most secure um, for connecting consistently, um, as opposed to one day being in a client's office and asking their IT person to connect, the next day being at a Starbucks and trying to put in, you know, connect to that Wi-Fi, and then the next day in the office on, on the Wi-Fi, those kind of things. It's better to have a consistent standardized way that you've been trained on um, that has been verified by your IT department uh, so you can connect securely all the time. Great point. And that's, a, that's another element of kind of the changing times too, right now, everything is smart and everything is internet connected, especially in the home. And, you know, you're talking about an unlimited number of combinations sometimes in terms of who's built these things, where they've come from, what type of code they run. And again, yeah. just because it quote unquote works or can connect to the internet doesn't mean that it's doing so securely or it's being managed properly and they're closing any potential vulnerabilities or loopholes that people can exploit as such. That makes the home network kind of a nightmare to have to manage or try to secure if yours has become, quote unquote, particularly smart. Yeah, and we've actually started seeing some firms um, have their IT people or their IT group uh, verify those, you know, remote uh, you know, WAN usage and those smart. kind of things. Just because um, there's too many unknowns out there. Sure. And so it's better to make sure you connect it with the VPN and lock it down. Uh, one point I did want I missed on earlier that I wanted to add to it. Um, what our users can do basically is, is when you set up an account, give them the minimum rights they need to work. Now, what that means is don't give them administrative rights. Uh, for some of our tax and particular audit applications, um, you need an administrator right to do an update or install that. And oftentimes when people do it themselves at home or whatever, they forget to turn it back off, you know, so they'll turn on the administrative rights or get that. And then um, what they say is, is if I get into a workstation that has administrative rights, I have the keys to the kingdom. I can pretty much do anything, go anywhere, whatever I need. Excellent point. Yeah, really. Ideally, it's to lock everything down and then to open it up from there as opposed to start with everything open and then try to cut it back if if and when you know it's possible you're not going to know how to do that exactly yeah Yeah. super well said good point yeah so many accommodations here to manage um and with all the all this additional complexity i would love to get into you describing a little bit more in terms of for the firms out there that are the listings and i'm sure plenty of this has resonated with them um for the ones out there that are you know um not starting to panic so to speak but are definitely curious to learn more about what next steps they should be taking. Can you help give them kind of some guidance in terms of where they might be now, what they should be thinking about in terms of next steps and really what to start investing in if some of these areas, they know they really need to button things up in order to protect their firm so that they can be prepared for, you know, doing business securely in today's environment. Yeah. Uh, Well, one thing I've actually been tasked with that responsibility for the ICPA, I update their cybersecurity checklist every year. And if you remember PCPS, um, you can download that 25 uh, point. And I think they actually have it in their um, one of their uh, professional insights uh, columns. So you can download the 25 items that are all of pretty much the key uh, risks inside of firms and sit down with your IT person or your external network integrator 
and go through and discuss each one of those items with them. Make sure that you're protected in that. If not, discuss the remediations and what the costs are. Uh, it's a pretty comprehensive list out there. And if you happen to be in like an association of CPA firms, a group, you know, you can actually work with other uh, member firms, uh, IT people to kind of discuss those things and get through it. But um, that would be kind of the first step. We talk about um, understanding what where you're open <laughs> out there. Um, and then second of all, um, make sure that your external IT group, um, so usually it's a local integrator, um, has the ability to monitor continuously and do updates and maintenance. In most cases, that's an increase in your contract. You know, a lot of the, uh, I'll say IT uh, groups charge like a, that could be a 20 hour block a month, that kind of thing. So for their efficiency, maybe twice a month, they jump in your system and do everything. Well, tell them you want to do real time management. And so um, we call that, you know, setting up a secure workstation format. That means that anytime they're, they're constantly monitoring any changes in Windows, in the antivirus that you're using, in threats that are out there. Um, they have a team that does that. And as soon as they're aware of something, they update all of their clients with those specific items out there. Um, pretty much so they'll go through you know, step by step to do that. And it's got to be continuous and ongoing. Uh, also, if you're they're hosting your server infrastructure, let's say using Microsoft servers, they need to be contracted to do that the same way in real time. Uh, basically, uh, someone is going every day. And then for intrusion detection prevention, they need to be putting in monitoring software so that if all of a sudden late at night there's some unusual logins or there's large transfers of data, that they are actively tracking that and stopping it um, even if the employee is not you know, online or you know, is even aware of it. Excellent points. Yeah, that the checklist is a great place to start for folks that aren't sure basically what they need to do or where they need to start. Um, what you mentioned in terms of remaining proactive as well, too, is key. And that real-time element is really important. I don't know if folks are thinking of it as importantly as they should, because when these vulnerabilities become exposed and we finally learn about them, right, seconds, minutes, hours, those matter, right? So if you're every other week kind of thing is going on right now, you could be, you know, you could be facing a significant vulnerability attack in that just that window, even if they intended to patch it, if it's not patched as fast as possible, that can make a big difference. Yeah, I think uh, if you look earlier this last year when that exchange server came out, that error issue came out, they said that there was 900 attacks per minute happening on exchange servers that were unprotected. Crazy. And it was crazy what was happening there. Um, you know, one thing we haven't talked about much, but I think it's also critical, I, I think is probably the most important item on that checklist, and that is education of your employees. Because, you know, the firm can lock down everything possible and do a great job on that. But if your employees um, click on a phishing email, um, it's all, all for not. And so yep. it's critical that they have regular security awareness training. And uh, honestly, it's actually an IRS requirement. If you electronically file a tax return, you need to have, follow the IRS Security 6. You need to do security training annually. You need to do phishing training. And you need to have a written information security plan. Those are all requirements. Uh, you know, when you did your P10 renewal, you checked off a box on number 11 that says, I understand the requirements of the IRS and I adhere to them. And so um, it's, it's critically important that you train your employees. And there's a bunch of training providers out there. Um, companies such as Know Before, Proofpoint, um, Wombat Security, those kind of things, where they actually uh, focus on that. And even Right Networks, we do it too. 
we actually have one that's focused specifically on accounting firms based on what our, you know, we have about 216,000 users. And when someone clicks on something, it could be anything from a fake Windows 11 update. It could be a Teams or WebEx update. Um, it could even be an email message that says, hey, we need to update your software on your smartphone. Uh, we, when we identify these attacks, we provide training specifically to that. And so that's the only way your employees are ever going to know uh, what the current threats are. And so these providers, um, they're very reasonably priced and they will do actually fake phishing emails. <laughs> They'll send them to you. And uh, just if you click on it, it doesn't do any damage. It says, you know, we realized that you clicked on this because you thought it was real, but this invoice, it was a company you never even heard of. So make sure that if it's, you know, it raises a red flag in your head and you don't click on a similar email in the future. That is a great exercise. I, I, I know lots of people in the industry. I, I'm definitely going to recommend that too. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, that you made an excellent point, right? We can lock it down as much as we want, but in order to access the internet, there is something we need to, re- to keep open, essentially. As such, right through your email, something can get through and they can do their best to try to make it look like a real email. And they've gotten a lot better with that over the years. Oh, they're professional so can, grade. <laughs> it's crazy, man. I've seen some emails and I'm like, I almost fell for that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, with 15, 20 years of IT experience, I'm like, wow, it's getting really sophisticated. So that training, I'm glad you mentioned that training element in terms of training the team, because even if you lock all these things down, something could still wind up in their inbox. They open it up, especially if it's got an attachment, it's got some kind of an exploit in it. All of a sudden, like you said, that's that could be it. Yeah, we've always, you know, had the, the, the standard red flags if you don't recognize the email address, yeah. if it requires urgency, if it forces you to go to a link or a website. Our general rule is don't ever go from a link inside of any email anymore. Yep. You know, in the past, one of the rules I would also add was like hover over it to be sure. Exactly. But even now that can be breached. Literally, oh um, there was a breach that happened or uh, started earlier this year where Let's say you were going to Wells Fargo, it was an update, and you looked at it overwards and it said Wells Fargo out there. But the way they were able to hijack it and move it to a secondary site and jump into like a, you know, the CAPTCHA where I'm not a robot and yep. pick the four motorcycles in this picture kind of thing. And at that point, it got away from the bank and captured your login credentials. So um, one of our new, the, you know, we have hard rules. And one of the new hard rules is don't ever click on any link in an email or um, a website, unless you've verified it with the sender through an alternate means. So if they send you an email, you can call the person and talk to them and say, hey, did you just mean to send me this? But other than that, don't ever click on any links at all because the, the um, you know, bad actors have gotten so good at actually you know, faking you know, that um, there's someone in your company. Well said, and it's changing all the time, right? So if yeah. I think the key here for sure is be safe at all times. And if you're unsure of anything or anything looks off uh, and really following those principles, Roman, you just shared is the smartest thing to do because I'd rather you make an extra phone call than potentially like invite a potential exploit into your environment to cause countless amounts of damage. So um, shut down your whole tax season. <laughs> oh my goodness. Kidding me. When you said lose three weeks, three weeks worth of data in tax season, oh, that just probably makes you cringe. a bunch of people's hearts skip. <laughs> oh, Losing three hours worth of data in tax season is devastating. I could not imagine uh, how disruptive that would be for firms. Uh, just, you know, really significant stuff. 
Excellent advice. Super helpful. Thank you for sharing, Roman. Um, you shared a ton of great resources already. I want to know, I want to make sure if you have any others that you'd like to share, please feel free to do so. The ones that you have mentioned, we're going to link to in the show notes for everybody that's listening. And then um, next question I'm going to have for you as well, too, is that if you have questions about any of this stuff, I know exactly who you should talk to. And I'm talking to him right now. You need to reach out to Roman. So hit Roman, if you can give us an idea also in terms of like who should be reaching out to you and how they can get in touch. I'm sure folks are definitely going to want to know more about that as well. Well, if they're interested in looking at the secure workstation, you know, Right Networks has that offering. I mean, you can even actually use that as your checklist uh, to discuss with your IT person internally. Here's the things we should, we want to be doing. Okay. And if they can't offer it, you know, we'd love the opportunity. Um, that's we also for security awareness training. Um, I mentioned, you know, the top three or four uh, we've created, you know, at Right Networks, a custom security awareness training uh, for accountants that identifies the specific, you know, tax applications, accounting applications. And as I said, the threats that are happening internally in, in our client base, you know, we have over uh, 200, I think it's 220,000 users. Uh, so eventually someone clicks on something and if they clicked on it, and they were fake. Chances are someone else in the organization is going to, uh, one of the clients going to click on it and we want to minimize that as much as possible. Excellent and well said. And then um, in terms of who should, oh, you mentioned kind of who should reach out to you. What would yeah. be the best way for them to either get in touch or learn more about Right Networks? Any uh, any area in particular where they should go? Uh, um, on Right Networks website, there's an area called Smart Security Management that pretty much explains those services. But uh, again, like I said, uh, it's a, a checklist you can look at. We'd you know, love the opportunity to do that. Um, I also do a lot of specific security training. Um, I mean, actually, all of my clients, 100%, are CPA firms. And so we have webinars that you can view. Uh, we also have other checklists and other tools that if you just do um, go to the Right Network's website and search on security, those resources automatically pop up. Amazing. And I, I can second that for sure. I've seen uh, a whole a multitude of Roman's webinars. They're fantastic. Uh, despite the fact that I have decades of experience in IT and security myself, I learn something new every time I hear you speak. So I'd highly encourage I learn something students. every week too. <laughs> There's <laughs> well a new said. attack in headlines. <laughs> right. Hard not to in this industry, right? In the type of work that we do. Well said, Roman. Uh, thank you so much for being here and sharing your incredible knowledge and experience with both myself and our audience. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for listening to this episode of Accounting Automation. I hope you found it valuable. I help accounting firms scale their profit exponentially without needing to hire any additional accountants. So if your firm is in growth mode and can't keep up, I'd love to talk to you more about how I can empower your firm to do more with less through automation and technology. To learn more, visit my website, nextstep.io, or email me, sean at nextstep.io. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at nextstep, N-X-T-S-T-E-P, dot I-O. Hey folks, Sean here, and I want to thank you for engaging with my content and encourage you to sign up for my free five-day video email course called Bottleneck Buster. Bottleneck Buster is designed to show you how to boost the profitability of your firm without hiring. You'll learn where your firm is wasting time, how to get that time back, and how to reinvest it to drive greater profitability. Sign up for the course at bottleneckbuster.com.